Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 137 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello, everyone. Alyssa Nichol. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Mike Ryan. Hey, everybody. Do you want to give us a brief introduction since we haven't had you on the show before? Sure. So I'm a software engineer at an industrial IoT company in Huntsville, Alabama. And I get to build uh, real-time interactive UIs for industrial applications. And in addition to that, I am a core team member of NGRX. And wow. Well, I guess we can see the connection there um, because you have stuff to observe. And it sounds like NGRX has something to do with observable. That, that would be there, – there's some linking there for sure. Yeah. Do you want to kind of give us the 10,000-foot view of what NGRX is? Yeah. So we find that there's a lot of problems when you're trying to build large-scale reactive applications with Angular. And so what NGRX is, is we're an organization trying to solve these problems with high-quality, small, reactive libraries. And so we're focusing on bringing more reactivity to APIs that aren't typically found in the core framework, and also improving the developer experience, making sure that it's really easy to use these tools, to bring them in, and to build well-tested features with them. So the word reactive is kind of like soup du jour. Um, and everybody's, I mean, there's even a framework called React. What, um, for everybody's benefit, can you um, uh, tersely explain what you mean by reactive and contrast it uh, as necessary? Are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development? Have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreaks. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. You mean by reactive and contrasted uh, as necessary? So... To put it very simply, I view reactive programming as programming in a way where you're reacting to changes, um, whether those changes are coming from outside your domain model or whether it is your actual state changing and building applications that react to those changes, leading to probably more changes, sort of forming a reactive cycle, if you will, in the application. And this paradigm, it's not a perfect fit for all applications, but when you're building real-time applications like you tend to build in IoT, it allows you to have some guarantees about its quality. You can test these reactions. You can model your state as changes over time. And it overall just provides a really, really sound model for modeling those kinds of applications. So, and that's different than, say, the React framework per se. Um, because, you know, it has the word react in it, so it must be reactive. Uh, <laughs> Not totally it, true. I, no, of course. You, <laughs> dripping, <laughs> the dripping with sarcasm did not quite come across. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but, you, you, you know, I, I, I clearly they're inspired by the notion of reacting to something, uh, even if it isn't that. But, but, um, but, so for you, the reactive paradigm is responding to these events, okay, and you're bringing that together with the Angular framework. That's correct. So the NG of and the RX are, are the combination because RX is short for RxJS, right? Which is right. our and you're using so so your your the way you're uh, handling reactivity is through RxJS. That's correct. That is our building block for all of our libraries is, is RxJS. So I'm curious so, if, if RxJS is the kind of central piece of this and everything, or most everything is built off of it, is this just a really large collection of operators, or is there more to it than that? 
So we like to think that it's the responsibility of RxJS to define those operators and to sort of provide that domain-specific language for working with observables. What we're then taking is we're taking those observables and we're solving interesting problems with them. And it's not a very large collection. I think we only have maybe three or four main libraries that we consider part of the NGRX organization. But it's connecting what RxJS is doing and all the great work they're doing and building out a really robust observable API and connecting that to the Angular framework. So we know in Angular itself takes a dependency on at least a small part of Rx. So um, this is sort of feeling, this is sort of saying, well, you know, Angular's sitting there, it likes RxJS, we like RxJS, and let's build some extra modules that um, bring us capabilities around certain problem sets. Is, is, would you look at it that way? Yeah, I think it's very fair. Um, you know, with any framework, it's going to come with its own opinions on how to do certain things. So Angular, out of the box, comes with a module to handle HTTP requests and to handle routing. And these solve those specific problems. But it doesn't have an opinion on how you might manage the state of your application or maybe where you isolate your side effects. And so we're taking those problems and we're trying to create our own solutions for them. So one of the more hotly contested Parts of uh, RxJS on this show, at least, has been the uh, the RxJS or ugh, the NGRX store. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is and and how it works? Before you even get there, give us the give us the lay of the land. What are the sub projects that you're tackling? Of which NGRX store is one? Before we go, have fun with that. Yeah, good point. So yeah, NGRX store is you know the the most popular and probably more contentious of the libraries in the NGRX organization. And the other three really build off of Store. We sort of view Store as being a really big part of the NGRX offering, if you will. Uh, when you're using Store, we also want to provide a solution to handle side effects. And in this case, I'm referring to any kind of code that's maybe talking with the outside world, API requests, WebSockets, time, those kinds of um, issues. And for that, we have NGRX effects. Then we also want to help connect more of the Angular framework to store. So we have a library called NGRX router store, and it synchronizes the router with store. And we'll probably get into more of why that's an optimal thing to do a little later on. And then we have DevTools, which is one of the biggest reasons you're going to use or buy into this uh, way of building applications. It's a really simple to use. And by that, I mean, you can bring it in your project with one line, you get really high quality instrumentation that brings time travel debugging to your Angular application. So you jump back in time to previous states and actually see the app update live and inspect what the state is and really get a uh, really powerful way to control the application. And I'd say those really comprise the big libraries that people use most often out of NGRX. Cool. So, so they're all um, leveraging NGRX store, uh, including the store. So what? Um, tell us a little bit about the store. So NGRX store um, is a reactive re-implementation of Redux. And Redux is this idea that came out of the React community, though it has you know, a far-reaching history outside of JavaScript. And it's taking two patterns two somewhat common patterns and bring them together to deliver this state management library. And so what it's trying to solve is it's saying you have state in your application and you probably want to share that state across multiple components, multiple pages or services. And it can be sort of hard to keep that state synchronized and to, to have everybody contribute to state changes in a way that's easy to test and easy to debug and easy to track. And so NGRX Store has this idea of a large state tree, and you can sort of think of it like a database. And you make changes to that database by dispatching actions, and actions describe, you know, here's how I think the state should change. Some function takes the state and that action and provides a new state to the application. And we wrap these state changes in an observable. So multiple components and services can then inject this observable of state 
and they can all observe the same unified state tree together. And it, and that alone is what provides a really great way to handle state synchronization across an application. Yeah, that uh, in in native Redux, I remember um, that being something of a challenge because they don't have a good observability paradigm, as I recall. Um, uh, you 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 because they didn't they didn't take a dependence on an observable framework like RxJS. If I do, I have that right? Uh, so that was correct for at least the first four versions of Redux. I believe it might have been within the past year they have recently implemented. Um, enough of the observable spec that's supposed to be landing in a future version of ECMAScript that you can just use the store in Redux as an observable today without really any other additional interop layer. So, so if you can use the store in Redux with you know like some amount of observable happening, like what what does NGRX give us then? That's a great question. In terms of raw functionality, nothing. In fact, Redux might give you even more because you get to buy into this large ecosystem. What NGRX store then does is we're trying to really capitalize on providing a really great Angular developer experience. So we're going to handle wiring everything up through an injector for you. We're going to give you, you know, we're going to try and provide lazy loading for you. We're going to, you know, integrate with the framework in ways that Redux as an independent library cannot. I see. Okay, so how much is like implemented so far? Uh, everything. We think it works great today. Oh, okay, sorry. I thought you the way you said we're going to try like to wire up an injector or provide laser leading. It sounded like they weren't a hundred percent there. Or oh yeah, so it works with the injector today. I said we're you know we're going to try and make sure that it works with lazy loading. It works with lazy loading today, and tomorrow it's going to work a whole lot better. Okay. You're using this in production, right? Definitely. All right. So that's part of part of your your IoT business, which is I find incredibly encouraging when somebody's actually using it to build something. <laughs> yes, we are delivering real products built with NGRX today to customers. So let's say that I I'm thinking okay. Um, NGRX looks cool. I want to try it out in my Angular application. H how do you pull it in? You'll need two packages if you want to start using Store. You'll need NGRX Core, which provides some common utilities we share amongst all NGRX projects, sort of analogous to Angular Core. And then you'll need the NGRX Store package, and both of which you can install from NPM. Once you have those packages installed, you can import the entire store feature with one ng module, and that's part of that really high quality developer experience that I was speaking to earlier. Um, so, once you have that ng module, you'll need to provide what we call a reducer function, and that reducer function is what I was alluding to earlier with the database analogy. The reducer function actually is what's intercepting actions and changing state based on those actions. So with your reducer function and the ng module, you're ready to go. You can start injecting the store observable throughout your entire application. So you intend NGRX store to cover all application state or the a certain mo model of, of data that is um, relevant to, your, to the app, a certain domain model? I would say it fits best for a domain model. We certainly see people trying to put 100% of the state of their state in NGRX store. And that's a totally valid way to handle it. I think sort of like test coverage, you know, you can get 95% of the way there and have really gotten all the main benefits. You don't need every last piece of your state to be in the store. So what kind of a domain model do you have? What, what's, um, what, what do you think is particularly well suited for, for the NGRX store? Applications that maybe have shallow relationships amongst their entities and are going to be updating really frequently, whether that's from user interaction or maybe a WebSocket connection, those are really well suited uh, to NGRX Store. Are you able to describe, for example, say one of these IoT thing devices and what kind of a domain model or um, um, you would be monitoring and updating and stuff like that without, you know, breaking some seal of of confidentiality? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So one of the applications I get to work on on a daily basis is called Simply Snap. And Simply Snap is a smart lighting system 
for outdoor applications. Think of it like for football stadiums or um, you know big high bay installations, street lights, those types of problems. And what's interesting is when you are talking about installations of that size, you're talking about thousands of lights. And these lights aren't typically being controlled from the UI. They're going to be controlled via intelligence, whether it's coming from sensors or maybe just you know common light switches like we might think of in our offices. And when those light, light levels are changing, we want to represent that to the user in addition to things like power saving information and where those lights are at. And so the entity model in that application is shallow, right? It's a, it's a lot of lights, but they're updating really frequently and there's a lot of them. So having a consistent way to handle and keep the state updated for that many lights and shared across so many parts of a single application, that's the kind of model where NGRX Store really shines. Yeah, no, see, the, the, here's a newsflash for people who have heard me um, call this whole thing into question. That seems to me to be absolutely the right application for this paradigm. <laughs> I've got no problem with that, people. This sounds just right on. Um, and particularly, I mean, I see all the, you know, the value there. You've got, as, as you reason across the lights, or these different devices all singing at, at different times, um, it makes sense to, tr to trigger coordinating uh, actions that, that come as the different ones change and immutability makes sense in, in this context to me. It must make sense to you in this context. Definitely. Uh, and the ability to, to time travel. So we have these developer <laughs> tools that lets you, you know, go back in time to see, okay, what did the state of the application look like five minutes ago? And with lights, that can be really important. You know, if we have some how much, problems, how much of that, how ahead. much of that is available, like that history? It's configurable to you. So out of the box, it provides the full history that can have some performance implications, right? Because if you're retaining mm. every previous snapshot of your state, you've introduced a memory leak. So in production, we deploy it to capture the last ten snapshots of state, and it that's going to really be dependent on how many actions are firing and how frequently. So that's actually interesting, Mike. I didn't. I wouldn't have guessed that you kept the snapshots of the state, but rather that you did something that people call event sourcing, which is that you kept a history of the actions and you replayed them against an initial state. Is that not how it works? Not necessarily. So for performance reasons, sometimes it's going to make sense to actually capture a snapshot of the state for a given action. And then when you want to remove that action or an action in the future, you don't have to replay every single action. You just have to replay every action since the one you've skipped. Mm. Yeah. 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 I've seen hybrids where um, they capture the events, but they do snapshots so they don't have to roll back all the way. That's exactly what this is doing. It's just to you know give a little bit more performance to these developer tools. Yeah, that makes you see that that makes sense to me also. Um, as you're trying to debug your system, and when uh, one IoT device's input triggers some rule that causes some others to go, and it's cascading that lot. That kind of interaction could be really hard to debug if you couldn't step through it again and again and tweak things. So I've never actually worked with time traveling things like that where you need to look back through your state. Are you saying that the only other option is that you'd have to actually roll back through all of these like versions of your state to get there if you don't take snapshots? So because of the way the architecture works where you're effectively reducing a series of actions, you don't necessarily have to have captured snapshots. You could, like Ward had suggested, just take out an action and replay all of them through a reducer. That's not particularly effective when you're talking about really large state trees and the performance implications with that. But that'd be one approach you could take. Okay. So, I mean, I don't do a lot of IoT programming. And so I'm trying to envision... Um, you know, and then I think this is where Ward contends that this may or may not be the right approach. What about a web application? And what about maybe a little bit more complicated data? So that's where it starts getting a little tricky because then you have to start answering questions about your application, like how live is this application? How complex are my model relationships? And it can be a little difficult to say, okay, for this application, use Inject Store, but for this application, don't. You know, that's definitely where you start to get a little fuzzy 
in you know whether to apply it or not. And I wish I had those solid answers for you. Um, one one clue is is the consequences of side effects. Now, most of the side effects that you're describing um, are confined to changes in the model, right? That's uh, correct. In other words, uh, in order to make your application successful, and as you're step moving forward and, and backward in time, your um, each action is changing local state. But it's not like going and making a credit card payment that you would be very difficult to reverse. That's correct. And that's another reason why we're not replaying actions. So uh, the other half or the, the sibling of NGRX store is NGRX effects, which is taking these actions you're dispatching in store and triggering side effect code based off of them. And when, re when we are replaying actions, we don't want to re-trigger effects. Right? We don't want to cause network requests to happen again. We just want to see what the state was like in the application. And so even if, it, even if you were using actions to maybe trigger a credit card request, I think this domain model would still work for you. Right. It's when, it, for, for my money, it's when there are deep and complicated relationships within a domain Entity model conceived not as just one entity, but as a as as a uh, a web of things like customers' orders, order line items, products, da da da. da. Um, and when the you have to you, when the kinds of changes that you're making are stored in some on the server somewhere, and uh, somebody else can make changes to that, and and you're there's no it's really hard to talk about you know seeing the advantages of time travel in a world in which there are multiple users making changes interacting at some point that you don't control um yeah obviously it can be done but the complexity starts to take off but that's not the kind of application you're describing here that's correct if it's an application where there's not like a lot of concurrent users all changing the same data model then it's you know if, if there's actual time or distance between those kinds of changes, then maybe it doesn't make sense to use NGRX store. Um, but I mean, I still think it covers a lot of, and just to be clear, and this is why I was asking, hinting at the question about whether all state belongs here or whether one can imagine an application that had some part of its domain model that really looked like this and for which this was beautifully suited. And, uh, and the application may have other parts for which it wasn't appropriate. And there's nothing wrong in my mind of bringing those things together. Uh, and just knowing where which part of your domain belongs needs this treatment and which doesn't. That's kind of where I was going. Do you see it that way, Mike? I definitely see it that way. I have not gotten to build an application like that, but I can foresee how you could really architect a solidly built app that way. Um, when you're using NGRX Store and you bring it into your application, it's not handcuffing you and saying you must treat all state this way. You know, at the end of the day, this is still Angular. You can inject many different kinds of services in your components. You can bind many different kinds of observables in your templates. So store as something that's additive to a larger state story, I think makes a ton of sense. In the classic Redux pattern, there is exactly one one store where and it was based on Flux, as I recall, which had like a different store for every entity type. Um, can you know, it doesn't seem to you know me that uh, it might at least my instinct is that it doesn't have to be either of those extreme. Can can I have more than one instance of the store, of the of an NGRX store that like covers a particular domain and another one that covers another domain, or do you try and keep it all in one NGRX store? You could provide store. You can use the store module and multiple feature modules. There's nothing out of the box stopping you from doing that. I'd be a little concerned that it might be difficult to track which instance of store any component is injecting. Um, but if you could find a solution to that problem, I think I think it would work out very well. I think you described this, the, the, the seam pretty well. It's when you have independent, we have an application that's a composite of different uh, workflows, different real models. In other words, I wouldn't split up a domain into several NGRX stores, but I might have an application that involved multiple concerns, multiple domains, each of which was maybe even in a different lazy loaded module, and where there's no real cross action between one store and another. They're just different parts of your program. And that's where I would want the feature you just described. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And this is actually a problem with NGRX Store today, is it does not really help you build applications. 
that way. And so uh, I'm not the one who actually created NGRX. Rob Wormald, who is a developer advocate for the Google team, he started this project. And we've been working for the past couple of months discussing, okay, how can we solve this problem with NGRX Store? And we think we have a solution for this. And we're calling it fractal state management, where you could have some feature module or some isolated concern that's using NGRX Store. You bring it in, and it just connects to a global instance without you having to think about it. We'll handle things like conflicts for you. You'll still get time travel debugging for just the one instance. And you can build your application with isolated concerns in mind. See, that's that sounds that sounds, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. So, and can you? Oh, sorry, go ahead. It, it's there's a lot of challenges, and it's been a, a lot of work. We're currently using it internally here for our applications, and it's working pretty well. We're pretty happy with it. It enables a much better lazy loading story. You know, an entire feature can be using store. You just bring it in, and it connects for you automatically. But we want to make sure that we're communicating developers. You know, when you're injecting store, which instance do you get? You know, whose state do you get to access for any component? And so we're still working on some problems in terms of you know responsibility of saying who can access which state. But we hope to have it released hopefully before ngconf this year. Wow, that's awesome. That really is. Um, Mike, a lot of people are scared of RxJS, um, uh, and they they fear that they will be overwhelmed. My bet is that you guys have thought about this and have pared down the surface of, of the RxJS that you think most consumers of this will really need. Are you, can you talk a little bit about that problem and how you're addressing it? So just make sure I'm understanding the question correctly. You're asking how do we boil down to the essence of observables for new No, no, because I, I know you want to leave like any part of our XJS that you want. It's all yours. That's why it's there, blah, blah. But I mean, in practice, as you look at the ways in which you're using this product, do you find that it, uh, you come down to uh, X number of operators that are just part of your your day-to-day -day tool bag when you're interacting with uh, NGRX Store? Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. When you're interacting with NGRX Store? Yes, for probably 90% of the features we're building, they're probably using maybe six or seven of the same operators every time. Every once in a while, you'll you have that you know unique feature you have to build, and aha, that tool exists in the operator tool belt. But you're right; there there's probably just the six or seven essential operators that you need to know for RxJS. Okay, what are they? Okay, here we go. Here they are: map, mapping values, do to capture side effects, merge map to convert one observable into another observable. Merge to merge multiple observables together, and that might actually be it. That might be it. Those are the ones that we use most frequently across all features, and you can build a lot of things with just those tools. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, see that that's the folks out there. I mean, I, I got to you know, this is the thing. Like RxJS has 50, 60, I don't know, hundred operators, but but I. I, I agree with Mike. I feel like um, in day-to-day -day practice, it comes down to some set, that some sweet set. And what's sort of interesting about those maybe four that I just listed is that's everything that promise.thin does, right? It, it handles mapping. It can transform into other promises, or you can use it to capture side effects. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you're still going to be building applications that sort of look like the same kind of app you might have built with a promise. But you also have that flexibility to tap into that much larger ocean of operators when you need them. That I feel like that's like a really cool, I don't know, talk idea is just talking about like those four things and the comparison of like, you know, using then versus using NGRX. Like, I love that. That's really cool. 
Well, and then's a metaphor. I mean, here's the case where promises just leave you in lurch because this is a flood of events and promises are, you know, really wacky hard when you have to cope with something that is, you know, they're great for one event, but they're not great for a flood of events. And, and that's what you were facing, right, Mike? That's right. Is how do you, or what rather, which data type captures a stream correctly? You know, is it the event emitter? It can't be a promise because it can only handle one value. Is it a generator? We see people today using generators to handle, you know, event-driven asynchronous tasks. Or is it observables? And I have a lot of faith in observable. I kind of want to get back into some of the aspects of um, of NGRX, though, because we, we talked about the store and we talked about kind of the debate of whether or not you'd want to do one or the other. Um, but what I'm curious about at this point is, um, you know, what are some of these other libraries here? I mean, we've got effects, we've got notify, we, you know, so, so what else does NGRX give you besides the, the store and everything that ties into that? Sure. So we've talked a little bit about effects, but to get into that a bit more, if you have store, you have an observable of state. Mm -hmm. When you bring in an effects, we're saying, okay, you're dispatching all of these actions. Now let's model that action stream as an observable and let you key off of actions happening across your application to perform interesting work on the side. So when you and say so, actions, what do you mean exactly? So an action in the Redux sense is that it's a, an object that has a type and mm -hmm. describes some kind of state change. It can have okay. additional properties of it, of course, but really it's, it's an object that has that, that type. And so effects is buying you into this notion that, hey, you've already got this unified event stream, basically, is what it is what it is. Now let's key off of events that are happening across your application to perform maybe a network request. So can you do that? Can you draw that picture for us with one of your light examples? Like a, give us an action that regards uh, the, the lighting thing and then um, what effect you might... Um, you know, that is that action flows to the reducer. What what? How would you? How would uh, what would be an effect that you would care about, and how would it pick up that action and do it? Sure. So, like I said, with the light application, most of the time you're controlling it via sensors or switches that are out in the field. But occasionally, you're going to come on and you're going to control lights from the UI. So, if I've got a slider to indicate the the level of a light because our lights are dimmable, and I dim that light down to fifty percent. Right away, I want to fire some action. Hey, I've dimmed this light to 50%. And I want to reflect that immediately across my application that this light is now a light that's at 50% dim level. But just lighting it and dispatching the action is not enough. Now I have to make some kind of network request to talk to that light and to actually dim it. And so I would write in an effect, and it's got all the action streams, and it's going to listen for that one action type. Hey, I hear that someone wants to dim this light to 50%. And it's going to then use observables to make that network request happen and capture any side effects, any additional actions that might come out of making that network request. So this is so this is where you have here. This is the asynchronous part. A lot of people don't quite get right away that that the Redux model and I guess NGRX store are synchronous um, vision of the state. And so effects is how you would make a, you know, work asynchronously to both send a message out and also receive information in. Is that fair? That's correct. Or? That's very fair. So store is synchronous. Actions are handled immediately upon being dispatched. And it's not a requirement, but we strongly suggest that you handle that action in a way that's immutable and without side effects. Yeah, that's, So effects that's... is the solution of where to put that, that code, that the code that has to actually talk to the outside world because the outside world is not so clean. It's not immutable. It's not going to have, you know, it's not going to be risk-free. Yeah, typically when you talk about reactive programming, um, people are doing it in a functional manner. And so, yeah, by having no side effects, that's what gives you the time travel in your state and all of these other things is because you don't have to worry about what happened outside of your application. And so this is just a way of managing all of that external stuff and keeping your state clean and 
and without worry about what everything else is doing. And not just the state, because these effects are like long running processes that exist in a service, it also means your components are now free of side effects. They're no longer making service calls. They're just dispatching actions to store and receiving state from the state stream. And oh, so, interesting. yeah, so bringing purity to your components as well is a big reason why you might want to use InsureX effects. Because the because let, let's suppose let's follow that. So, um, I dim the my component has a slider. It 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 sends a dim action to the the and the effect picks it up, sends it off somewhere, and now presumably that thing responds and says, "I've dimmed it." I've dimmed it becomes an action that comes back in. Is that how that works? That's correct. And so because I, my component is already interacting with the store, it can respond to that that I've dimmed it action and adjust its presentation accordingly. Right. If the component, since it's just pulling in from the state stream, if that, let's call it the success action of making that network request, if that success action then causes a state change in your reducers, the component's going to be notified because it was listening to the same state stream as everybody else. So it just has to, every time something comes down from the state, it just has to figure out how to parse the met, you know, which, which uh, parse isn't the right word, how to partition the stream into useful uh, visuals or, or, or UI results. Is that kind of how you think of it? That's correct. We, we say that when you're buying into this way of doing things, store and effects, your components really just become a projection of your state. You know, they're going to show the best visual representation that they can create based on what the state of your application is at any given moment. So then this leads to another question, and that is, is um, if something changes on one end of the screen and there's only one other component that cares about that kind of a change and everything is basically subscribed to the stream of the state changing, then does everything get notified? And isn't that kind of, I don't know, inefficient? <laughs> yes. Uh, if you were just buying, if you're just tapping into the raw state stream like that, you would suffer an immediate performance penalty. We do add, however, one operator to the store observable, and it's the select operator. And what the select operator lets you do is it lets you select one part of the state that you're interested in, and then it's only going to notify you when that one part of the state changes. That way you can have a lot of state contained in your store, but components who only care about one particular part of that state don't suffer any performance penalties. So, for example, if you built uh, NGRX store into Tour of Heroes and you have a component that's just one hero, displaying one hero and letting you interact with one hero, it can say, I only care about state changes related to that hero and everybody else. It just doesn't get notified about anything else. That's exactly correct. So, Mike, um, you know, I'm thinking about this also in terms like business people say, oh, well, you know, I don't have anything like that. Well, you know, often they are watching stock tickers or something like that. Um, one of the challenges is that if you're really listening closely, you can get overwhelmed by a flood of um, messages, incoming messages that are trying to update state and so forth. How do you do you debounce those? You know, how, how do you ha handle that? The, how do you keep from being overwhelmed? That's a great question because we have this exact problem in our application. We scale up to thousands of bytes. They could be sending us thousands of messages per second, giving us their status update. And that's where you start pulling into operators that maybe are outside of your usual tool belt. And one that we find is really helpful is Buffer. And Buffer, you know, for any given amount of time, let me collect all messages on a stream, and then I'll do something with that collection of events. So when it comes to light status changes, for instance, we might buffer those on 100 millisecond intervals and then handle all the updates that happen in the past 100 milliseconds with one action. And that's sort of how you can solve performance issues when you're talking about thousands of messages. Yeah, I, I found that uh, in my own exploration, I found that to be very helpful. I actually hand rolled my own buffer, but <laughs> that's because I didn't know about it. Uh, 
The uh, and I also stepped outside the zone. Um, do you ever find? Uh, and that was to try and uh, slow down the change detection cycle when I'm updating a whole bunch of components all over the place, which could happen, which can happen in that synchronous moment there where. Um, where you're trying to process that buffer full of stuff. So do you ever find it necessary to step out of, uh, outside of the Angular zone and make some changes before, or has that just not been a problem for you? Unfortunately, yes. We do have to step outside of the zone um, a little bit more frequently than we would like. And I think this is one of the developer pain points that you might experience when you're building applications like this with the framework, is that so we use framework or protractor to handle our end-to-end -end tests. And Protractor is going to wait for the application to become stable. It's going to know about stability based on what the status of the zone is, the global zone. And so with any of those timing-related operators like buffer or debounce, typically we find ourselves going outside of the zone, applying those operators. And if they do something interesting that we actually want to notify the application about, then we'll re-enter the zone conditionally based on that. Yeah, it, it's um, for people who have performance stuff. That the, the the zone entering and exiting the zone stuff is is a good thing for you all to learn about out there. It's not hard. the the The, the cool thing is, I mean, like we don't talk about it in the docs yet. Um, and as a you know, as a general rule for most of the stuff that we the normal person does, it you don't even have to know it's there. But it it sure is nice to know that you can you can step outside, and it's pretty easy to do. I mean, you found it pretty easy to do, right? Yes, and sometimes you have to enter it yourself as well. Right. So one of the interesting caveats of RxJS is it has sort of as a core primitive to how a lot of the operators work is schedulers. And schedulers are responsible for scheduling some interesting task to happen in the future. Well, because RxJS does its own scheduling, sometimes you might find that RxJS has inadvertently taken you out of the zone. And so knowing about how sort of the zone interplays with RxJS is a really great skill set to have. Can you can we just back up? Because I'm sure there are some people who are somewhat new to Angular who are going, well, what is this zone? I mean, we've, we've I think we've talked around it a few times on a few episodes, but can you just treat it explicitly really quickly? Sure. So zone.js is this library by the Angular core team. And what it does is it lets an application handle its own asynchronous scheduling. And it's not, you don't have to really worry too much about what kinds of things might be scheduled that way. But what it allows the framework to do is to know when something interesting has happened in your application. And then Angular can intelligently guess, okay, something happened just now. Maybe now's a good time to re-render the UI. And this solves this really ugly problem in old Angular JS, where you had to use you know scope apply, or maybe if you're coming from a React world where you're having to do component dot set state, Angular can make that guess for you of when to re-render. Yeah, it's why we don't have to call dollar apply anymore. Nice. We, so, Mike, go ahead. Well, I, I want to know about ng router and why there is such a thing, ngrx router, because we have a router in Angular and it. You you know it communicates to the world uh, through ArcGIS observables, so um, there's there must be a reason for it. Something that uh, ngrx router does that's not part of the native router. So this is requires a little bit of history about the Angular router project. But if you're building applications with Angular going as far back as some of the early alphas, Angular's had a lot of routers in its time, and. <laughs> It's it's the, a running the, joke, as a matter of fact. So, <laughs> <laughs> it it um, not all of them have been great, and a lot of them have been very hard to use. So, when we were using the first router, we experienced a lot of these developer pain points around: okay, how do I asynchronously load in features? How do I observe state changes throughout my application to connect them to store and Brandon Roberts, who's on the Angular Docs team, and I, we came together and we built NGRX Router. At the same time, the Google core team was working on their own sequel to the router, which would become Router 2. We end up releasing our routers right around the same time, and NGRX Router picks up a lot of traction. A lot of developers started buying into it, and then at NGConf of last year, we got to meet with the Angular core team, and they said, we really like the way you handle some of these concepts with NGRX Router, 
And, you know, we'd like to create a router that sort of brings together the, the best of both worlds. And that became Angular Router 3. And NGRX Router has been deprecated since then. You know, we keep it there for sort of historical reasons, but it got to sort of live on through what we now know today as the Angular Router. Oh, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. So I saw that it, I thought I saw that it had some new life in it, perhaps related to upgrading or something, or did I mis, misread the traffic on that? Might have misread the traffic, but we do have another NGRX project that sort of sounds a little similar, and that's NGRX Router Store. Aha. Uh -huh. So Router Store is a separate library, and what it does is, if you think of the router as trying to keep your application in state with whatever the URL is in the browser, and store as handling the rest of it, Router Store bridges the two. It brings the router's state into the store so that you can use those same developer tools to time travel with the router in mind. Yeah, that that's intriguing. I'm going to want to tap into that. Um, so there, you said something earlier in a broadcast that, that left some of us gasping, uh, which is that you're, you have a lot of admiration for the Redex tools. And, um, and I thought sometime I'd, I'd heard something about trying to be able to bring that tool set and apply it to NGRX Store. And I don't know where that all landed. Or Is it your goal to sort of pick the best that they have to offer? Or do you actually think about interacting, uh, you know, so sort of, today, uh, incorporating them? Yeah, so we love the Redux Dev Tools, and we have no interest in re-implementing those. And within the past couple of months, we have built in a native integration with the Redux Dev Tools extension. So if you bring in Inject Stores Dev Tools and you register them in your application, you can immediately start using the Redux extension in your application today. And we think that's the that's the right balance, is that we can just build the interface to those Dev Tools and let them control the state for us. That is going to be nice. pretty big. That's uh, because there is such a rich community that has grown around Redux, and you'd hate to have to, you know, to play me too. So this is that's really good news. And you can use that today. That's not something coming in version four. We have that in the uh, version of store that is out there. Uh, you can pull it down. All you need is store and then store Dev Tools, and to install the extension, it'll work out of the box hopefully. So you said that you need to let them control state. Is that difficult to do, or are you like you just include Redux Dev Tools and it starts working? So with this reducer function, the way this time traveling works is you have to have some parent reducer that's sort of controlling which state to return based on the history of actions, and so we have to sort of. When you're trying to use the dev tools, we have to pump the actions and states that your reducer is producing to the dev tools, and they tell us back, hey, this is what state you should be showing based on the way that the developers interact with the developer tools. Okay, so that's really cool. So beyond NGRX router store effects and store, we do have two additional libraries that people sometimes use. Uh, but we don't consider them to be finished yet. They're things that we've been actively working on for a while, and they are DB and Notify. And DB is a really interesting one. There's this really high-quality uh, indexed DB API that exists in modern browsers, but it can be a little difficult to use. It's a very complex and rich API with a lot of functionality. And so what NGRXDB does is it's a wrapper around the index DB APIs, it provides you an observable for your for your index DB, and it gives you Angular services to communicate and store changes in that DB. That's interesting, because isn't that uh, isn't index DB something that you know you can uh, basically store stuff offline? So when you come back to the page, that data's still there. That's correct. It does not have the friendliest API in the world. So if you're doing something to smooth that over, that's good. And, and there's a um, not all browsers support it. So how do you? Is there going to be some kind of um, fallback uh, so, uh, under the hood? 
that's something we're still exploring. You know, there might be a, a situation where it's perhaps a, a module for evergreen browsers that do have this API implemented, or there's a couple of uh, nice community libraries that sort of give you a polyfill, if you will, for IndexedDB. What we want to make sure we're doing, though, is the ability to cancel transactions. And that's what we think the observable is such a great way to wrap handling transactions to IndexedDB is we want to say, okay, you can make reads and you can make writes. You can also cancel them if they're taking a while. And it's hard to find the right polyfill that gives you that functionality that exists in today's IndexedDB API. Well, that's something to look forward to. Um, what was the other one that you mentioned? The other one was Notify, and this is for desktop notifications. Browsers also have native uh -huh. desktop notification APIs. And there's a lot of ceremony that goes into creating one of these notifications, handling when to dismiss it, handling clicks on those notifications. And so NGRX Notify gives you a service that lets you, again, treating a notifications like an observable, dispatch notification, subscribe to the result, listen for clicks on those. Very cool. I'm getting tired of clicking block on all the websites I go to because they ask if they can show notifications. It's becoming pretty common these days to see apps, you know, trying to push notifications, Twitter, YouTube, so many of the yep. high profile applications are doing it these days. But in, in, our, in our IoT lighting app that we've been talking about today, it might make sense if perhaps a light is not working or responding correctly to notify the user, hey, something's wrong with this controller. Maybe you should go check it out. And so we think there are you know, reasonable use cases where notification does make sense like that. All right, Alyssa's trying to sneak into my house. I have to find, I have to detect that and, you know. <laughs> Make sure I have a glass of wine ready for her when she breaks in. <laughs> it's like no, but for real, they're really <laughs> breaking in. Like, yeah, there, there are. I don't know. People complain about the notifications, but I personally love that. Like, I, I, I enable all of them. So, <laughs> so she even if it's screen, not she can't see her screen, it's just popping constantly. That's right. She, she doesn't get anything done. <laughs> Someone posted another cat picture on Facebook. Uh, I'm all about notification. That. I'm all about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this was really fascinating. Like I, I'm really like happy about this show. It's just so enlightening. Like you guys have done a lot of like a lot of work. You can definitely tell. Well, thank you. You know, it's a it's been a community effort beyond Rob and I. Brandon Roberts, who's on the docs team, is also a core contributor at NGRX, and we have you know plenty of contributors who are actively working every day, improving documentation adding features, helping users out in our Gitter. So it's, a, it's been a big community effort to build these tools. Do you have a release schedule? Uh, you know, are there sort of periodic or major events or something we should be looking forward to? There's no release schedule. One, I guess, positive part is these libraries are so simple that it sometimes can be hard to think of, okay, what else do I need to change? Like effects feels like a finished library to us. And so we'll do occasional maintenance on it, but for the most part, we think that it provides a really good solution out of the box. Well, if people want to find or follow or contribute to the project, where do they go? You can find us on GitHub at github.com slash NGRX. That's the organization page. You can view all of our projects, find one that interests you, and actively contribute to it. Additionally, we have a really active Gitter community. So if you go to gitter.im slash ngrx slash store, there's a lot of people in there every day talking about ngrx store, working on problems around it. And that's a great place to help jump in and sort of get in the loop of what's going on with the project. Nice. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Comp. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the freelancer show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go become or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. Nice. Well, 
let's go ahead and jump on over to the picks. Alyssa, do you have some picks for us? I'm just excited about NGConf coming up really, really soon. Um, and I just actually got back last night from Norway, so I'm still a little dazed from all of the travel. But yeah, no, I, I'm just really excited about NGConf. That's really all that's on my brain, so I don't have any exciting picks other than that. <laughs> all right, Ward, what are your picks? Well, I I I feel like I was in Finland. Um but um, uh, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to say that I think Mike has made a compelling case for hopping over to the NGRX site and um, looking more closely at this. And and I'm do, I'm making that my pick partly also because everybody thinks I'm an NGRX hater, and I'm not. I'm not. I I I, I really like what Mike had to say here. Yeah, there's a difference between a hater and a skeptic, right? Right, Ward. I, well, yeah, but I'm not even a skeptic. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 what I am is like I'm I'm I have a problem with 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 people um, becoming um, lost in love with a technology and trying to use it for everything and overstating what it can do. And to my mind, um, you know, Mike started with a real real business problem. He had, you know, he had a real, something he really had to solve. This fit the paradigm and, um, he's making sense. Yep. Totally agree. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here with a few picks. Um, first of all, I wound up moving off of the Mac. Um, so I have a new desktop machine what? that I built. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it's I'm just getting onto it. Oh, it's, it's running windows 10. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually really liking it. Um, yeah, the, the next upgrade of the MacBook Pro just didn't quite do it for me. And so I was like, you know what? I'll spend half the money and get uh, four times the machine. So, so yeah, so that's what I did. And I am, I'm super happy with it. Um, I'm going to put up the link to the, the build that I used because uh, I just found a list of components online. Uh, the only difference is, is that I did get the GTX 1080 instead of the GTX 1070, I think is the one that they recommend. Um, I got 64 gig of RAM instead of the 8 gig of RAM or 16 gig of RAM that they recommended. And uh, yeah. Um, but other than that, it's it's basically the same machine and I am, I'm loving it. I have four screens hooked up to it, which is super cool. And, uh, anyway, it's, it's really, really nice. Um, the other thing I'm going to pick is, um, when you move from Mac to windows, not everything moves over. Uh, unfortunately you don't get all of the same apps that you have for, um, you know, for what you're doing. So for this show, for example, uh, we record on Skype and my backup has always been Ecamm call recorder. Well, doesn't exist on windows. So instead, what I'm doing is I'm actually using a program called Pamela, and um, it records Skype calls as well. And so I'm using that. I still record through to the hardware and stuff, but that's kind of my backup run in case something happens. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. It looks like it has a bunch of other features, though, with like voicemail and, you know, call scheduling and stuff like that. So... Um, Anyway, I'm really happy with that. The other one that I really missed was um, ScreenFlow. And I found another app that does a lot of what ScreenFlow did and is pretty much as simple to use. It's called uh, Movavi. It's M-O-V-A-V-I. And um, anyway, so far I've used it to edit down a bunch of conference videos. And I'm probably going to do some screencasts with it and see how that goes. So I'm, I'm happy about that as well. Um, but yeah, uh, Mike, what are your picks? So I've got two picks. The first is a library called NGX Charts, not to be confused with NGRX. This is a library by Swimlane. Austin over there has built a really high quality chart library on top of Angular and D3. Uh, the charts look great. It's really easy to use library. I'd recommend you check it out if you need some high performance charting for your application. And the second pick, which I'm sure it gets picked a good bit, but the Angular CLI, it gets better every day, and I believe they're actually supposed to be releasing the final version of it near the end of this week. So if you've not checked it out recently, they've really done a lot to make it really fast and easy to use. Uh, definitely check out the Angular CLI. Awesome. Well, um, if people want to follow you on Twitter and such, 
you know, we already asked how to follow the project, but if they want to see what you're doing personally, what, what do they do? You can find me on Twitter and on GitHub at Mike Ryan five, two, five, two. There are your age, your, your shoe size, your waistline. What is it? It's, it's a, it's a random number. There are many Mike Ryan's in the world. Do not confuse me with the, uh, semi truck stunt driver, Mike Ryan, or <laughs> the, uh, Nashville country singer, Mike Ryan. I am oh, wow. the angular Mike Ryan, Mike Ryan five, two. Oh, right. And awesome. you're not Mike Ryan five, one either. That must be taken. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we know that those other two Mike Ryan's are definitely on GitHub. All right, no, well, for sure. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thank you for coming and sharing this with us, and hopefully, some folks will go check it out and see what's there for them. And we'll catch yeah, everyone. Yeah, thank you for having week. me on. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ward. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.